Would you pray with me? Father, I'm reminded this morning as you say, take courage. Sometimes I think I cannot take courage. But I remind what you said to Joshua, to be strong and courageous. He said, don't be terrified. He said, don't be discouraged. And I think, why? How? He said, because I am with you. I think this morning, you're going to ask things of us, things that require courage. So my, as we hear your ask, as we hear your prompting, might we remember that I am is with us. You are with us. So as we say, come Holy Spirit, we love you, Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, this is my first time moving this up here. It's pretty light. All right. Uh, it's my honor. I'm Clayton Core, by the way. I always forget. Now I don't know everybody. Um, I have the honor today of introducing our guest preacher, teacher, speaker, Josh Dosler from Omaha. Um, Josh is a, a longtime friend. I, I played college basketball against Josh. Josh played at Creighton. I played at Drake. So if you're a Drake fan, that was a rivalry. I said this earlier. If you're a Creighton fan, it's just a win. So I lost to Josh a lot. Josh is better than me. Um, but I've got to watch Josh live for over 10 years. So take it from me. This is a man who loves Jesus, who loves people, and is letting Jesus do things through him. He has courage. So I hope you're encouraged. I think you'll be challenged today. It's cold outside. Josh says we're going to bring the heat inside. So a couple things I want to share, just so you know, so Josh's family, he'll talk more about it, have been leading a ministry in North Omaha. North Omaha is known as a tough area full of good people for 32 years. They've done a lot of different things. But one thing that, and they also started a church uh, 12 years ago now. So they're doing a lot. But two things that I take away from every time I go to visit. I've never seen people talk more about where they volunteer or where they go to church. Not just at the church, in the community. Jesus is doing something so powerful. People can't help but talk about where they volunteer and where they go to church. That strikes me. And second thing I have learned from them is, and he'll talk more about it, I've learned about loving my neighbor. I'll be the first to admit I'm really nice. I'm really good at saying hi to my neighbor. I'm not very good at loving my neighbor because loving my neighbor requires intentionality. It requires sacrifice, maybe some courage, and being uncomfortable. So this is a place where people sense what Jesus is doing, is changing their lives, and it's helping them to love really well. So I'm not going to take any more of your time. You come on up. This is Josh Sosa. Let's give him a welcome. I'm, it's going to be exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Man, it is good to be here in Pella, Iowa. I've always dreamed about coming to Pella. <laughs> Dreams do really come true. It's great to be here and uh, just echo everything back to, to Clayton and to the Corver family. The first, one of the first things we did once we got to our hotel yesterday, I said, do you know the Corvers? And uh, obviously they knew who the Corvers were. And the Corvers are kind of like the Dotzlers. There's a lot of us. We're everywhere. I'm one of 14 kids. And uh, I know the Corvers are everywhere. But, man, the impact, the lifestyle of starting from uh, Pastor Corver and his wife and their family and their kids, it is truly an honor to be here. 
And I'm humbled to be here. And I have been greatly impacted uh, through the, the life and ministry of this church and, and the Corver family. Can we just do this? I know uh, a pastor isn't preaching today, but can we just make some noise just to thank him for who he is, how God has used him? Come on. Amazing, amazing. And, and I've been able to interact with the family over the years. Uh, like Clay said, I played basketball at Creighton University, the other blue school. And actually, when I was being recruited by Creighton, Kyle was playing at Creighton and uh, got recruited there, played against Clayton. And then I played with Caleb for, I think, for a year. And so I have been able to interact with them a lot over the years and just grateful to be here. Heard all about tulip days and just, I mean, the most amazing tulips the world has ever known. Right here in Pella, Iowa. It's amazing. My wife and, and, and kids are here. They'll be at the next service. And uh, my wife and I, Jennifer, have been married for just over 13 years. Got a picture of our family up there. We've got four kids. Joshua's 10. Joseph is eight. Juliana is seven. And Jada, our baby girl, is three years old. So we're the J family. And uh, we actually have a dog named Jet, too. <laughs> my wife, though, my wife is half Mexican, half Thai. I'm half black, half white. I tell people our kids are so mixed up. <laughs> there is not a box that they can check. But they're amazing. They're beautiful. And uh, so, so grateful to uh, just have an amazing family. And my wife is... She is the rock in our family. I know you guys have been on a series, a series talking about this idea of flourishing in exile. And I love the series. I love the theme more than a series. It's something that you're going to be looking at for, for, for the remainder of uh, just the, 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 fo the foreseeable future. And, and, and how many know that this is such a good theme for the year that we've been experiencing? I mean, was 2020 like the year you dreamed about? It's like you write out, wrote out your goals for 2020 and everything has come true in 2020. I mean, this has been the most bizarre year. Nothing has gone the way we've planned it. And uh, if you uh, didn't know it, even before 2020, we were heading towards a world that was a post-Christian culture, a post-Christian culture. I remember being in a, a circle of pastors and this is probably five, six years ago and we were talking about this idea of what it would look like to live in a post-Christian uh, world. And I remember at the time, it was kind of even a debatable conversation. What does that look like? What does that mean? And I remember one of the pastors said, man, I think living in a post-Christian world will actually be one of the best things for the church. I heard one amen. I did not say amen to that at the time. I was like, I don't know if I agree with that. Man, the, 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 the challenge, the crisis, the living in a post-Christian world. But what this pastor knew and what I didn't know at the time was, was how many people through this COVID-19 you've experienced. Crisis creates a level of clarity. Crisis strips away those things that maybe uh, we've been hiding behind or those things that maybe are easy to follow. And, and crisis pulls all those things away and shows us what we're really made of. Crisis is the great revealer, I believe. 
And what we've seen in this season, and I think for Christians all throughout exile, is, is it shows what, 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 what the church and what Jesus is really about. And I know we've been looking through the scripture and I'm so thankful that we can, we can look at God's word and we can get a picture for, for what it looked like for, for, for followers of Jesus to live in the middle of exile. Jeremiah, I'm actually in the middle of reading Jeremiah in, in my Bible reading plan and, and we see what it looked like for, for Jeremiah. Man, everybody was against him. He was speaking these words from God. And God gives the command for them to live a certain way in the midst of the exile. And, and we see it all throughout the New Testament in the book of Acts. And one of the things that, that I love about uh, God's people and God's word is that crisis was actually a catalyst for the church. Crisis was actually a catalyst for change. How many people know that they were trying to destroy and kill the church, but in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit showed up, boom, it exploded the church. And it caused the church to go places and it caused the church to interact with people and incredible change started to happen. And so as we continue this theme, we're gonna talk about what does it look like for us today to allow the crisis, the challenge, the exile to be a catalyst for the church of Jesus Christ. I, I wrote a book actually in the midst of this crisis called Church in Crisis. How many people, if you read that title, Church in Crisis, you wanna go buy that book? I, I, I literally remember writing this book and I, I was telling my wife, I was like, I do not wanna write this book. I, I don't want to be, why do I have to be the guy that writes a book called Church in Crisis? The word crisis in, in, in the root, uh, if you look back in the Japanese word crisis means danger and opportunity. There's two parts to it. There's danger, there's challenge, but there's great opportunity. And my heart, and I know our heart is that the church would be in the middle of the crisis in our world. But how many know in, in many ways, one of the reasons we're entering into a post-Christian culture is because the church has been in crisis. The, the church, statistics will show, has been on the decline in our world. But we can still flourish in the midst of exile. I wanna start off with a question. I need a little interaction, a, a, a little help. What is something that you cannot live without? Something you cannot live without. Every single day, you need it. You can't live without it. One of mine is coffee. Any coffee drinkers in the house? Come on. I can't go without coffee. What's something you can't live without? Oxygen. That's a smart man right there. <laughs> cannot live without oxygen. Yes. What else? Water, can't live without water. We need water. Sleep, Sleep says the person with the young child right here. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Cannot live without sleep. What else? Electricity. Electricity, yes, we need it. People have lived without it, but man, today I need some electricity. A anything else, what else? My wife. My wife. Come on, can we give him a golf clap, everybody? 
<laughs> you just got like 20 points. That's what I'm talking about. There, there, there's things in life that we can't live without. And we go through life and, and for some it's technology, electricity. I mean, there are those things that we absolutely can't live without, those things that are essentials. But then there's those other things that we don't want to live without. There's things that, that we, we, we rely on. Let me ask you this question. If third church were to disappear, would the world miss us? Would this community miss us? Think about the church as a whole. The church is, is broken down as the people of God. If we were no longer here, would our world miss us? Would your neighbor miss you? And I think all throughout scripture, what we see and what we're gonna see in the text that we read today is that the church would be at the center of the world and the church would be a catalyst for change. And the church would be people who don't just believe something, but people who are known for something. We're gonna look at 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. If you have your Bibles or it'll be on the screen. And, and, and Peter's talking to uh, Christians who have been scattered all over. And, and these Christians are experiencing the persecution that the early church experienced. And he's trying to uh, send them this letter to, to not only encourage them, but to, to challenge them and to spur them on to live and think differently. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. He says, dear friends, I, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. He's letting them know. He's letting us know. Man, we're only here for a short while. We're not here that long. How many uh, uh, know, man, when, when, when things are challenging, it feels like it's never going to end. When you're going through it, it feels like this, this suffering, this pain, this challenge is never going to end. But he says, no, we're temporary residents and foreigners. He says, keep away from world, worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. He was probably talking to people in Omaha, not in Pella. There's no unbelieving neighbors in Pella, right? But he says, be careful to live. It's going to be a theme all throughout the, the scriptures that we, we read today. He's talking about lifestyle. He's talking about how we express our faith. He says, be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. And they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Verse 13, he said, for the Lord's sake, submit. Somebody say submit. submit. Look to the person next to you, say submit. Look to your second choice who you really want to submit and say, submit. <laughs> submit. Again, it's, it's an act. It's something we do. It's, it's the way we live. He says, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. How many know that verse is more relevant now than ever? In the coming weeks, now more than ever regardless of who is in position of political power, 
we're called to live a certain way. It says, or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. Again, submit, respect. It's calling us to live a certain way. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. We see Peter's talking about lifestyle. He's talking about how we're called to live. He said, you've got to submit, you've got to respect, you've got to live in a way where you've got to fear God because the reality is just like in that day, same thing today, man, we struggle with the fear of man versus fear of God. And when times get get tough or times get challenging, we have a decision to make. We're going to live in a way that causes us to reflect a fear of God or fear of man. It says, verse 18, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. It says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. And then we get the picture of the steps we're called to follow in. It says, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and to live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Powerful picture that Peter is calling us to live. And he gives us this, this picture of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read scripture, I, I try to believe the words of Jesus. How many people in here try to believe the words of Jesus you're reading scripture and whatever Jesus says, man, I want to believe it. I want to follow it. I want to do it. But for me, believing the words of Jesus is one thing, but following the ways of Jesus is so much more difficult. It talks about what Jesus endured. He who knew no sin took on sin and death for us. Andy Stanley says, the best possible person experience the worst possible death for us. We see this, this, this incredible picture of sacrifice. I remember for years when I first uh, started doing the work that God has called us to in, in ministry work, none of it came natural to me. 
When I was young, my mom said I was so shy, we would go into the grocery store and uh, she couldn't even get me to say hi to anybody. And as I was growing up, my dad, he would always have us around leaders and in environments. He'd say, Josh, I, I want you to speak. I want you to speak. And my mind's telling me no. <laughs> Literally, my mind is like, no, I don't want to. And I would, I would say yes. And I would get out there and I would share and I would speak and and, and, and for years, I would feel uncomfortable. I still get nervous, and, but I would feel so uncomfortable. And I remember just praying and asking God. And I always thought that the calling of God on my life would at some point in time be comfortable. I always thought that, man, if, if I did what God had wired me and created me to do, it, it would be more natural. It would come easy. There would be a level, a level of comfort that I would live with. And what I see in, in this text and what I see all throughout scripture is that Jesus doesn't prom promise comfort. Jesus doesn't promise comfort for those of us who follow him. It's actually, if we're gonna model our lives after his life, he, he, he shows us this picture of actually getting uncomfortable. And what I've learned over the years is that when I get uncomfortable, I actually create an environment and a space for other people to feel comfortable. When I say yes to God, even when I wanna say no, it actually allows other people to experience Jesus in a way that otherwise wouldn't. I used to think that my, my calling would produce a sense of comfort for my life, but I began to realize and I recognize more now than ever that my calling isn't gonna be convenient or comfortable for me, but it is gonna make other people and help other people experience Jesus. And I think part of the challenge in, in, in our Christian uh, faith is, is, is this idea of getting uncomfortable. When we first started our church 12 years ago, we would, we would do praise and worship. And my dad would be worshiping and he would have his hands up and he'd be like spinning around and doing stuff and, and everybody would just be looking at him. Like, this guy is crazy. And I remember I had the same thought and I would look at him. And I remember my, you know, one of the first times for me, I'm, we're, we're worshiping and we're, we're singing and I felt like I should raise my hand. So I did one of these wondering who was looking at me. Closed my eyes and then I remember doing one of these and, and, and being so conscious of what I was doing. And then before you know it, I was doing this. And then before you know it, I, I was moving a little bit and I was jumping a little bit and, 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 and I started to experience God in a new way. And before you, before, for, for our church, we started to create a culture and an environment where, where, where people would actually demonstrate and express what God was doing on the inside of them. And, and people come into our environment all the time and they look at me and they say, man, Josh, like you're so expressive. You're so this, you're so that, but that's not me. How many people have ever looked at people and said, man, that's, that's not me. They, they can raise their hands. They, they can do that, but that's not me. And I try to tell people, man, that's not me either. I promise you, it's not me. I'm, I'm the shyest. I'm the most subdued guy you've ever met. That is not me either. But I've, I, I've come to learn that faith isn't based on my feelings. 
Faith isn't based on my feelings. Faith is based on an understanding that what God has done for me changes everything. And so I actually, we, we, we have a phrase that we say all the time. We don't fake it till we make it. We faith it till we feel it. We faith it till we feel it. When we step out by faith, our feelings actually start to follow. And God starts to let us know, man, that was, a, that was the right step to take. And so when I, when I get uncomfortable, it's not about me. It's about what other people get to experience. It's about, it's about me. Man, I don't feel like saying hi to anybody today. I don't, I don't feel like interacting, but you know what? Man, I just believe God is up to something and he's working in people's lives. And so I've, I've got to get outside of myself. Look at somebody say, get outside of yourself. Say, you got, you got to be willing to get uncomfortable. You got, to be, you got to be willing to get uncomfortable so that people can experience the power of Jesus. And, 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 and Peter is, is giving us this picture of the life of Jesus. And he's saying, man, if we're going to be the type of people who really have impact during exile, and if we're going to live the way we're called to live, we've got to be willing to get uncomfortable. And then he goes on, chapter three. He goes from talking about slaves. He goes from talking about, in general, all of those who are followers of Jesus. Now he goes to wives and husbands and his message is the same. He said, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing, by watching your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty or fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of the gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. See, everything that we do externally comes from what God is doing internally. Changed people change the world. And so, so Peter's, he's specifically talking to, to wives, but he's talking to all of us. And he says, man, the change starts on the inside. I tell people the most attractive thing about my wife is her pursuit of God. Almost every single morning, she, 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 she gets her Bible and gets her devotional and, and, and gets on the couch and starts to get into God's word and her pursuit of God is the most attractive thing about her. And it never, never fails. Every time she opens that thing up, one of the kids gets up. Before you know it, she's got a kid in her lap and a kid by her and she's trying to read and get it in. But, but man, her pursuit of God is so attractive. The most attractive thing that people see in us is what, what, what God's doing inside of us. It's our pursuit of God. And Peter says, man, beauty, it's from the inside out. This is how the holy women of the old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, go ahead, wives, hit your husband, say, in the same way, 
In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live, as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Peter is is showing us and giving us this picture of how we're supposed to live. And, and, and I think one of the themes that he's showing us is in exile or in crisis, many times we, we start to live in a way where we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to make it to the end. And he gives us this picture that I'm not just calling you to survive. I am calling you as followers of Jesus, as followers of the way. I'm calling you to be a part of seeing some people saved. This is the time. This is the calling that I have on you as the church, that I have on you as individuals. I want you to be a part of change. He says when the the spiritual becomes practical, that's when it's powerful. When the spiritual, what we know, what we believe becomes practical or another word to say is incarnational. Jesus came down from heaven to earth. John 1.14, the message version says, Jesus put on flesh and bones and moved into the neighborhood. He got incarnational. He got practical. So people could experience and see the transformation that he had for their lives. When I was two years old, my parents moved our family in Omaha. We lived in the suburbs and my, my, my dad felt God calling him to vocational ministry somewhere, didn't know where it was. And so moved our family from the suburbs to the inner city of Omaha. My dad is a white guy from Iowa. Any white guys from Iowa in here? <laughs> I'm in the right place. My dad's a white guy from Iowa. My mom's African-American from Washington, D.C. They met, they fell in love. He became a chemical engineer and they got to a place where they felt like God was calling them into vocational ministry. And they didn't know where it was going to be, but they opened up the map one day and, and there's an area in our city known for crime and violence. And they said, God, we'll move anywhere except for there. Can I tell you, don't tell God what you won't do. They found themselves in North Omaha. And in 2007, the police redlined the neighborhood that we lived in as one of the most violent neighborhoods in our city. This was a community where our two neighbor girls who were my two sisters' best friends were murdered. Our house was shot at, bikes were stolen. I tell people when I got a scholarship to play basketball at Creighton, I thought for sure that was my ticket out of the community. I told God, I don't wanna live in North Omaha and I don't wanna be a pastor. Don't tell God what you won't do. We, we found ourselves living in this neighborhood and amongst some of our, 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 our leadership and our staff, we, we, we started to ask the question, man, if, if the church in our city disappeared out of this community, would this community miss us? We had some people on our team that uh, uh, worked at the mayor's office. And so my dad asked them, hey, is the mayor talking about the church in our city? Is the mayor talking about the impact that the church, the local church is having right here in our community? And they both kind of laughed. They thought my dad was joking. And my dad said, man, if the church is the most powerful force in the world, if the church is called to be a part of seeing change in our world, 
Surely the mayor in our city has got to be talking about the church. And after finding ourselves living in this community that was redlined as one of the most violent, we started to ask the question, what does the kingdom of God look like in our neighborhood? And we said, well, in our community, it looks cleaner. And we lived in an area that was pretty overgrown, pretty terrible condition. And so we started to, to clean up the neighborhoods that we lived in. We started to beautify them. We started to pick up trash. We started to mow lawns and uh, uh, vacant properties. We started to buy a couple of old abandoned houses and we started to fix up these homes. One of the facilities that we fixed up, the police said at one point in time, it was the dark spot in that community. Crime and violence, dead bodies were found in the basement. After we fixed these homes up, we started to build a sense of community, started to connect with our neighbors within that community. Two years after we started to try to bring the kingdom of God into this neighborhood, the police came. And they said, we don't know what happened, but this neighborhood that was once one of the worst is now one of the best. And we'd love to partner with you to see this strategy happen in our other neighborhoods. At the time when the police approached us, we didn't even have language to our strategy. We just knew we wanted to see the kingdom of God become a reality right there in our neighborhood. First Corinthians 13, 13, it says, these three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. For years, I thought faith was the most important. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's by faith that we are saved. But can I tell you, love is the ultimate expression of our faith. Love, when we love people or people experience love, it fills them with a sense of hope. And that hope ultimately leads people to get into a place where they say, man, what do you have your faith in? I wanna put my faith, I wanna, I wanna believe what you believe. I wanna put my faith and trust in the God that you serve. When we live out of a place of love, people get to experience the power of Jesus. And so we've built an entire strategy built on, on, on loving your neighbor. We, built, we, we, we turn these homes into what we call lighthouses. And the people that live in these homes live on mission. And there's three things that we invite them to do. We invite them to connect, care, and call. Connecting is this idea of building common ground, finding things we have in common, connecting with people, building relationships. We don't have to make people believe what we want them to believe. We can just start by building a relationship, by smiling, by saying hi. Then we care for them, find out what their needs are so that ultimately we can call them to Jesus. We can pray for them. We can invite them to church. We can have spiritual conversations with them. See, I think what Peter shows us and what God's heart is, is that exile, it shouldn't eliminate the church. It shouldn't shut down the church. It should actually illuminate the church. It should show people what the church is all about. Our city, our community, our neighborhoods should look different 
because of what God is doing inside of us. And I know because of what God is doing here through this church, I know that if this church were to disappear, I know this community would miss you. I know our world would miss you because of how God is using you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's in times of difficulty and times of challenge, Lord, that God, you want to actually highlight the work you're doing in our lives. And so God, I, I pray that we would be the type of people, God, that allow crisis to be a catalyst for change. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to get uncomfortable so that other people could be comfortable, so that other people can experience your love, ultimately get filled with hope and get to a place where they wanna put their faith and trust in you. God, we love you, we praise you, and just pray you would continue to have your way in Jesus' name, amen.